The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org. Good morning. This morning's scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. That's Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither snow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself." Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. Glad you're here. For those joining us in homes around the city, thank you for joining us as well. It's always good to see uh, faces and, again, to stay engaged online is a sweet gift. So uh, we're grateful for all of you. Um, I want to kind of just ask a question, and it's a question if I could like sit down and grab coffee or a drink with you or lunch or something. The question that we all kind of enter into is like, how are you doing? You know, how are you doing? How are you feeling? Uh, because it's a, it's a wild time. Um, it is a wild time. There's a lot of chaos going on around us and within us, and there's turbulence and a lot of things that can give cause for anxiety. And so if I could like sit down with our church family and sit down with each of you, I think that's the question is like, how are you, how are you doing? Um, I, I think for me personally, as people ask me that question, it's hard for me to even know sometimes because it feels like there's just so much happening. And the answer to that for most of us is complex. Uh, there's areas where you might feel encouraged, areas where you see God doing stuff in your own life, uh, where he's meeting you in different ways, has provided for you in different ways. There's areas where there's confusion or sadness Grief, anxiety, exhaustion, anger, uncertainty. Uh, it's, a, it's a hard time to even like begin to think about how we're actually doing right now. And I, and I want to actually start there because I, f- I feel like over the past week or so, God's just been putting on, on my heart a lot, really 
some of what he's called us to be as his people in the midst of early chaotic time. And it's, it's chaotic. This week alone, kind of over the past few days, COVID numbers on the rise in our state and in our city across the nation, obviously. So retric- uh, like, um, kind of restrictions that have been amped back up, schooling, DPS, if you have kids in the, in the school systems around, keep making changes, that's hard. The economy's hard. There's big stuff happening this week, you know, uh, with national and local elections, big things that are being decided, like whether or not to release wolves into Colorado. Uh, you're gonna have to vote on that if you haven't already. Yes or no. Um, and uh, there's, there's, there's some real serious stuff on the ballot uh, locally in Colorado and Denver and then obviously nationally. And a lot of people have strong opinions about some of those things. A lot of you have strong opinions and a lot of these things are actually worthy of strong opinions. But in the midst of all of it, there's an anxiety. Uh, there's stress. There's challenges. There's difficulties. There's disagreement. There's angst. And in the midst of all of it, we're tempted uh, to kind of get caught up in the sort of angsty, angry, anxious, outrage environment that is destroying humanity and I think has a, is a real threat to who we're called to be as the people of God. And so this, this past week, the Lord put on my heart something from Ephesians chapter 4, just the very beginning of it. And I just want to speak, before you even get into some of Matthew 6 and broader stuff related to anxiety in Matthew 6, um, just pastorally uh, to our church family, to Park Church here in the building and at home. Um, in, Ma- in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul's just outlined some of the most incredible truths about God's grace, about God's love, about God's glory, about his unshakable plan to bring all things into restoration in and through the person and work of Jesus Christ, that through Christ, people that are dead and separated from God can be reconciled to God, the God of grace. By grace, you can be saved from our plight away from him, but also through that same grace, reconciling people to one another. It's this outstanding, beautiful declaration and exposition of God's love and grace and majesty and glory and patience. And then in chapter four, he turns the corner and begins to say, so in light of these things, here's how I want you to live. And at the very beginning, listen to what he says, Ephesians chapter four. It's not, here's what I want you to do. It's not, here's what I want you to think in your mind. It's not, here's how I want you to to vote. It's, here's the sort of character and demeanor and the posture you ought to have towards one another. And it says this, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. This calling to enter into relationship with the God of grace, the God of glory, the God of love, the God of reconciliation. To walk worthy of that calling, how? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace because there's one body, there's one Spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. In light of this God of grace who has shown us incredible grace and patience and love and kindness, and kind of forbearance and humility towards us, what, what God's calling us to be as a people who show that kind of love and that kind of presence towards one another. So this week, when stuff continues to kind of like 
amp up in the culture around us, when the rhetoric gets more and more divisive, when people's fears are realized or hopes and dreams are realized or whatever it is, and people on opposite sides of a spectrum get angry and you feel the animosity swirling around you, who are we called to be in the midst of that kind of environment? People who have humility. People who are gentle. People who are patient. People who are fighting for unity doesn't mean not caring about issues, doesn't mean not having a backbone, it doesn't mean not having opinions, but carrying those opinions with charity and love and grace towards other human beings who are not your enemy. Republicans are not your enemy and Democrats are not your enemy. Certain candidates are not your enemy, your spouse or your family member or your boss or the school's administrator or government officials who are making decisions. They're not your enemy. Your pastors are not your enemy. Your neighbors are not your enemy. In the midst of the anxiety and the turbulence in our culture, there's a desire to kind of take that frustration and that anxiety and that discomfort out on people. And this is what your enemy wants. There is an enemy, but it's not a person. It's not a group of people. There's an evil one who wants to destroy and divide, and God has called us to be one. And that's going to take gentleness. It's going to take humility. It's, we're going to wake up and be, God is patient with me. God is gracious towards me. God is humble towards me and loving and kind and forbearing. So I want to show that towards other people. And when we do, when we show that kind of peaceful, gentle, kind, humble, gracious presence, we shine as light in the world, a world that is longing to experience that, a, a world that desperately needs that, a world that needs Jesus who can actually bring that into our lives. And so I want to invite you as a people this week to not get caught in the fray. Vote, act, engage, care, feel passion, have conviction, love people. And that's how people will know we're, we're followers, disciples of Jesus, is by the love we have for one another. And if we do, it can be really beautiful and really peaceful because you can actually live in the midst of the sort of turbulence and the waves that kind of are, are like crashing over us with a sense of security and peace and joy, like we just sang about, that it gives us joy down deep in our soul. So I want to invite you to that. I want to pray for that as a, as a church family. If you're feeling angst and anxiety and irritability, it, it makes sense. It's a hard time to kind of like emotionally find peace with God. It's hard, but you're invited into it. It is available to you. And if we lean into that together, it can be really beautiful. So I want to invite you towards that and invite you to a deeper, more secure hope and joy in the season. So let's pray for that and we'll jump into uh, Matthew 6 again. Holy Spirit, we need you as a people. Uh, the people of Park Church, this little flock here in Denver, uh, we are often feeling like scattered sheep and we need you as a good shepherd to tend to us, to care for us, to guide us and we pray that you do it with gentleness. You know the, the kind of things that we're feeling and the culture that we're trying to navigate in but would you pour out your spirit in fresh powerful, beautiful, transformative ways. Pluck us out of the sort of anxiety and angst that just dominates our cultural kind of situation and help us to be people that find love and joy and peace and hope 
with you and then demonstrate that through humility and gentleness and graciousness and kindness and a tenderness as your people in this world, that we would represent the character of a Savior who said that he is gentle and lowly at heart, that we would be a people who are gentle and lowly, who have gentleness and humility. Oh, we need you, God. We need you desperately, and so do sweet and powerful work in our midst and help us to shine as salt and light in the world, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Um, We looked last week at Matthew chapter 6, this passage, and uh, we kind of unpacked in its context a little more specifically looking at this invitation of Jesus to be free from anxiety, not by trying harder and shutting down emotions, but by actually having faith in his unshakable kingdom and in his fatherly care. That when we kind of live our lives kind of constantly seeking to kind of find our joy and our meaning of life and our satisfaction and the things we can acquire and the things we can achieve and the things we can do and the things we can accomplish and then the world shakes or we're unsuccessful in our ambitions or we fail in some way or we fall short, we feel the insecurity of the things we've built our life for or maybe even you're kind of like nearing the end of life and you feel like the things that you've been building your life for, you're feeling the sort of the frailty of them, that lots of these things won't even last beyond the grave. And Jesus is saying, you don't have to spin your wheels being constantly anxious and preoccupied with these things when you know that my kingdom that I'm inviting you into by grace through faith in my life, death, and resurrection, that I'm inviting you into a kingdom that's unshakable, that no political season can shake the kingdom of God, no relational conflict, no family division, no economy collapse, no job struggling, no tension with your coworkers, no tension with your roommates, no struggling with your children, no failure, no regret, no shame, no condemnation can pull you out of this unshakable kingdom. And so Jesus is inviting you to just a more secure place to find joy and hope and life that isn't kind of getting shaken every time the world around us or our situation changes. But it's not just the unshakable kingdom, it's also his fatherly care. All throughout Matthew 6, he's saying, you don't need to be anxious about what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink and what you're going to put on, what you're going to wear, what you can do in your life to build or sustain your life or upgrade your lifestyle. You don't have to be preoccupied with those things. Because your father, your heavenly father knows you and he knows what you need and he cares about you. He values you. We saw it last week. He values you. He cares about you. He provides for you. And that reality is supposed to set us free from anxiety. Now we said this last week and what we want to look at this week is just going to back up a little more because the reality is that I can say that, you can get that mentally, intellectually, you can assent to those truths as that, that's what the Bible says and you can semi kind of like believe it in your head and still find yourself wrestling with constant anxiety, fear, worry, fret, preoccupation and struggles that can really plague life in some really hard and challenging ways. And so what we want to do this week is go back into that same truth and start there, but just jump into some of the complexities. Why is that hard to actually apply and live out in our day-to-day life? So we're going to look at that around anxiety in particular, a little more broadly, and they're going to back up and look at God's care for our our emotions, that God actually cares about our emotional health, that we're created not just as kind of 
humans who like have bodies that do things and minds who think things but have emotions that feel things. And it's a part of the human person that God wants to to disciple or to form towards health. He actually wants us to be mature, healthy, full humans who think, who feel, who act, who relate. And the kind of discipleship journey addresses all of that. That God cares about the formation of your emotions. And we see that in this passage. And then to look at why that's so significant, especially in our society, which is a toxically anxious society, what it could look like to be people that are growing as emotionally healthy, spiritually vibrant human beings in the midst of a society that is toxically anxious. And I think this is a part of the way that God can call us to be and is calling us to be salt and light in the world, which is what Matthew is all about. What does it mean to be truly human, that radiate what true humanity was designed to be, people in relationship with God, loving God, loving one another, the way humans were designed to. And so let's uh, kind of step into a little bit uh, of some of the broader kind of concepts related to anxiety. And now when we kind of talk about anxiety, uh, there's lots of different kinds of anxiety. So in the passage, the word itself, the Greek word that's being used in the passage is a word that's kind of connotating just like your mind is buzzing with things, like your mind is preoccupied. So in the context, what the mind is preoccupied with is the accumulation of material goods, either necessities like food and clothing or kind of building riches on earth in the context, building up more and more things that are corruptible and ultimately will decay. But the word itself has a broader application. It's anything that's just kind of making your mind just like turbulence in your mind, like mental turbulence about an issue. So I don't know for you um, kind of what your evenings are like or your, or your nights are like. For me, often I, I lay in bed at the end of a day and, uh, and when I feel overwhelmed at stuff, I, I feel like my mind's just buzzing. It's just buzzing, like it's just going. It's like that that meeting I have coming up, the thing that happened yesterday, what about this next thing we have? What about that other thing I'm falling behind on? It's like, what's the next stuff we gotta think about on the house? Don't forget about that bill. Don't forget about the thing with the kids next week. Like, oh, family's coming in town tomorrow. (laughs) Forgot about that. Um, You know, and like you kind of have this kind of, your mind is buzzing with things. And so one of the, you know, I'm gonna semi-unhealthy things. I think there might be an okay place for it. One of the things for me, like I do audiobook pretty much every night, like when I lie in bed eventually, because I'm just like, another story just helps me kind of calm down. So I'm like 400 pages into Brothers Karamazov and it's finally getting interesting, like 400 pages in. I'm like, it's supposed to be this incredible book. I'm like, get good, get good, get good. And it's, it's good now. It just takes you a little bit of endurance. Um, now other parts of it are good, but I, I'm like, like to me, a story that helps kind of like break me out of the the, the buzz of all the things I'm thinking about, the preoccupations. That's not the healthiest way. There might be a place for stories and just the gift of them. But sometimes that kind of numbs us from some of the broader realities that are happening in our heart, what we're hoping in, what we're afraid of, what we're worried about. But it's really really common. And so the question um, kind of I want to look at for a second related to anxiety. Again, there, there are different types. There are a range of causes for anxiety. There can be real world issues. It can be stuff related to illness or the illness of a loved one. It can be financial stuff. It can be America. It can be school. It can be schooling situations. It can be job issues, a a big presentation coming up, a big decision you have to make, like real world things that you got to think about. You have to think about it and you have to process that. And they can cause anxiety when we project a future without actually understanding the presence of God in that future. 
So we're imagining, based on the outcome of an election, based on the outcome of this job situation, based on the outcome of this presentation I give next week, based on the outcome of that relationship, like whatever it is, what might that future be? And what we're doing is we're imagining a future, but God isn't meeting you in your imagined future the way he would actually meet you in the actual future if that future were to come to pass. And so we had a a person that was kind of walking through some stuff with my family uh, through, this is maybe 11 years ago, um, just kind of who said that God's not in the business of meeting us in our imagined future, but she said what the truest thing about your future is is that the God of grace will be there. The most certain thing about the future is that the God of grace will be there. Even if your worst fears come true, the God of grace will be there, but you can never imagine his gracious presence because he's not meeting you in your imagination the way he would actually meet you in the reality. And so, so sometimes it's this real stuff we're, we're struggling with. Sometimes it's just, it's just our imagination. These things aren't even super realistic, but like we start having fears and thoughts and our minds kind of spiral into these kind of plausible or not so plausible futures. Like what if this ever happened? And what if that ever happened? Fears and anxieties about the what ifs of life. And then sometimes there's, there's real medical issues, chemical imbalances, hormonal stuff that kind of also affects your ability to think well about the future, to actually feel appropriately, that kind of amp up emotions in certain ways, that kind of heighten emotions where you feel like, I don't even, I know that's not a big deal, but I'm so overwhelmed by it. There can be chemical and hormonal things that affect that. And so as Christians, we're asking like, what, what do you do when you're feeling these kinds of things? And, and there's a range of it, right? It could be a little bit of nervousness about a meeting tomorrow towards like debilitating fear that makes it hard to get out of bed in the morning, towards panic attacks that are kind of like just shutting your body down. You feel like this involuntary shutdown of your physical body and things that happen physically and medically. And so how do we, how do we engage those things? Um, around our society, there are a lot of different like approaches to it because this is really common. They say one in three Americans over these past months is struggling with real significant heightened anxiety and anxiety disorders. And, uh, and that's true not just outside of the church, it's true inside of the church, like very, very common. If you look around the room or think about wherever you're sitting, one in three people is wrestling intensely with anxiety. On top of that sort of intense wrestling, there's a layer of anxiety, like a white noise that's buzzing over our, our society right now that's just kind of like there, that everybody's feeling. And so the, the question is, how do we engage it? And, and there's there's ways in kind of our secular Western world, uh, kind of coping strategies that are just trying to cope with the symptoms that are dealing with escapist behaviors. So it's just binging TV, uh, kind of whether it's pursuing something that feels like relatively innocent or more unhealthy kind of escape hatches to get away from the unpleasant feeling. There's numbing tactics with substance abuse or just taking a drink every night or taking different opioids or different things just to kind of numb and take the edge off the anxiety we're feeling. This stuff is like, not just out there, not just, this is stuff that's like everybody around this room, all, all around our city. These are things that we struggle with, ways we cope with this sort of unpleasantness of our anxiety and our worries and our fears. Um, there are all sorts of different like approaches to working harder, distracting yourself, kind of again, numbing these things. And then also even using medication, which is a really healthy role for medication in this stuff. But some people use medication only to kind of ignore some of the underlying issues versus using it to maybe manage some of that so you can think clearly and do some work on some of those underlying issues. 
And so these are all like Western coping strategies. And then into our society, you have sort of like Eastern religion coping strategies like uh, mindfulness stuff. So one of the things I do nearly every morning is like just breathing things, uh, which a lot of what I learned from breathing stuff came out of more Eastern religion type concepts, but it's not necessarily bad. It's just ways to slow down a little bit to think more clearly, like a jar that's kind of like kind of shaken up. It's got all this debris in it. And when you kind of slow down and focus on breathing, it kind of can give you space to kind of let that sediment fall to the ground to see a little more clearly. Okay, now I know more how I'm feeling. I know more what I'm afraid of. And now I can relate to God in it. But some people use that as an end in itself. Mindfulness, uh, kind of exercise, yoga, all that stuff is like, if I can just sort of detach from the kind of world and the cares of the world and find myself thoroughly detached and kind of separate from that, then I can find peace. That's not the biblical strategy either. There might be wisdom in there. Um, What the Bible calls us to is actually a deep faith in the presence of God. A deep faith in, in the presence of God, like relational, intimate faith. But the reality is that can be simplified. And a lot of our culture it is, where people would say, like, you're like, hey, I'm really struggling with anxiety. And somebody's like, well, have you ever read Philippians 4? Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There's the Bible verse. Don't be anxious anymore. Got it? Good. Oh, I feel better. You know, like, and you don't always feel better. The, the kind of knowledge of a verse is different than a relationship with the God that's communicated about in the verse. So the truth is real, but mental assent to the truth doesn't fix the sort of turbulence that's happening internally. And some of that stuff's a lot harder. It's a lot harder to walk into because of some of the ways we approach God, some of the ways we relate to God, that for many of us in our society, we've equated our spiritual formation with a transfer of information. So we approach Christianity as learn more about God and maybe, maybe, next level, do more for God. So think rightly, behave rightly, and the sort of interacting with him around your emotional life is something that like almost has no place in a lot of conceptions of discipleship. What you think, what you know, doctrine and behavior, but what about emotion? What about emotional, relational life? And that's the beauty of what actually is happening in Matthew chapter 6, that Jesus is a real person speaking to real people. He's not just giving a, like a lecture on anxiety. He's speaking to people saying, the God of the universe is here. I've, I've come near to you. I'm inviting you into relationship with me. And you'll see it all throughout kind of the, the gospel. You see it throughout Matthew. He's going to use this phrase that shows up in this passage here four times in the gospel of Matthew. And it's this phrase, O you of little faith. That's something about their anxiety in this context about material goods. Later it will be in the middle of a sea where waves are crashing. Later it's going to be Peter falling through the waters. It's going to be these kind of places where they're kind of facing turbulence around them. Four times Jesus uses it. It's one Greek word and it's O you of little faith. This like, this like little faith ones. And it's not condescending. It's not rebuking. It's actually kind of like diminutive, endearing, like Oh, you little faith people. Like, oh, there's so much that you're going to be learning about me. There's so much you're going to be seeing about me. And as you learn and trust more and more, it's going to deepen your freedom from these fears and these worries. And so Jesus is with them on this journey throughout their discipleship, kind of addressing like, oh, there's these things you don't believe about me and don't see about me. But he's staying with them relationally, kind of carrying them through towards the end of his journey with them. He'll be unleashing them as these kind of like 
pillars of faith that would shake the world because of their confidence in the love of God and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But it was a journey for them. It was a journey, and he was relationally with them in the journey. And so for those who do struggle with anxiety, I want to kind of address a few things uh, just kind of tactically, and then I'm going to back a little more up and talk a little more about God's care for our broader emotional life. Um, number one, if, if you struggle with anxiety, whether it's anxiety disorders or panic attacks, or you just feel overwhelmed and nervous right now, and it's, it's a new thing and you're not sure what's going on, just to know you're not alone. You are not alone. I think Satan would want you to feel like, why am I struggling with this? And does anybody else feel this? And what's wrong with me? Those are voices of the enemy. This is really common. It's a huge piece of Jesus' formation of his people is dealing with and walking with them through their anxieties. And it is so prevalent and so common in our church family, in our society at large. And it's not like you're failing as a Christian to believe the gospel, what's wrong with you? Like you're anxious and then you're anxious about the fact that you're anxious because you feel like you're the only one and something's wrong. You're not alone. It's really, 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 really common. Number two, there's a power in naming it and just being honest about it. That it's not like this plague or this like really like shouldn't be the stigmatized thing to be like, I've, I've really been wrestling with anxiety. I have personally wrestled with so much anxiety. For me, it kind of works itself out in control and workaholism. If I work more, control more, fight more towards these ends and protect all these outcomes that I want to get to, I just kind of like fight for control. And so it doesn't, for me, mostly come out as like freaking out. It comes up like amp up, grab the helm, let's go, you know? That's how my like anxiety like works itself out is control and then I, and then I get stressed out and that wears me down and then I crash and burn emotionally. And that's happened a number of times in my life. In the midst of stress, take control, drive through until it's too much, and, and then I crash. Carrying burdens I was never designed to carry. Like feeling weight I was never designed to kind of try to shoulder on my own. I don't know what it is for you. For you, it might be irritability. I think irritability is a huge way that some of this stuff comes out. So if you find yourself like, whether it's in a marriage or in a relationship with a coworker or people in your gospel community, gospel community leaders, other people, you know, at your school or your kid's school, like the, the tendency right now just to feel quickly irritated with people, that's a symptom of anxiety. It might not be necessarily that the person did something or has become something that you now hate. It might be like there's a, there's a underlying sense of unrest and one of the symptoms of it is just irritability towards other people. And then so one person gets irritated at another person. The other person feels offended by that. Why would you be irritated with me? And now I'm mad at you. And now marriage tension. Now roommate tension. Now tension in the workplace. Now tension in the church. Now tension in your neighborhood. It's like, there's just an anxiety there. And so what does it mean to name it? And say, actually, I'm feeling overwhelmed, anxious, worried, nervous. And then to try to sort through maybe what's What's one of the things or some of the things where that's coming from? Well, what is it that I'm afraid of? What's the thing that I'm losing a grip on? But just to name it and be honest about it. And then this is what I think is so significant in the passage is, and then bringing that reality into relational, into a relational space with God. Like talking to God about it. Talking to him about it. As a father who cares about how you're feeling, it, it was just like six years ago when I learned that God cares about how I feel, and I should too. 
People would ask me, how are you feeling? I'm like, good, 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 good. What I meant was, I have no idea. I've never asked myself that question. How do I feel? Who cares how I feel? It's what do I need to do? You know, like what needs to be done? Like feelings just kind of cloud our ability to do what we need to do next. Well, it turns out that wasn't super mature or healthy. And, uh, and my life like reflected that, where I had grown and kind of formed in certain ways theologically. I had oriented aspects of my decision-making as, as a human being around these theological realities. But I was like emotionally like a toddler like stumbling my way through, and that would come out in different situations. For me, whether it's defensiveness or difficulty receiving criticism or control, might be for some people anger and resentment and just fear that kind of can be debilitating, right? I don't know what it is for you, but to actually take that reality and say, to God, like actually engaging with a God who cares about how you feel. Now, a lot of us didn't have parents that ever asked us, how are you feeling? And so when we think about God, it's hard to imagine God as a good father who would sit down, invite you to sit next to him on the couch and be like, man, tell me how, you, how you're feeling. I care about how you're feeling. Actually, I'm overwhelmed. I'm afraid. I'm, I'm doubting these things. I'm questioning. And he's just there loving you, like sitting with you in it relationally. That's what this passage, your heavenly father values you and cares about you. So there's this invitation to enter into relationship with God and then to also enter into relationship with people who bear God's image. Actually, community, to be honest with people in your community, whether it's Christian friends, brothers and sisters, they can actually be honest about what you're feeling, how you're processing it, how you're engaging it, and and what you're struggling with. Now, I'm going to say this, and I mean it as an indictment to myself. Um, I think finding safe people is hard. A lot of my history when people share with me about emotions, even as a pastor, is I feel like my job is to fix the problem. Like I'm supposed to be a doctor. Somebody comes with an issue. I'm supposed to help fix the issue. And that's not always safe. When people, instead of like actually empathizing and loving and listening and sitting with you in the mud, instead of like, let me get you out of that mud with a Bible verse. Let me get you out of that mud with this issue, uh, with this thought or this idea. Let me get you out of the mud and, and kind of like just get you out of that place which adds another layer of kind of like anxiety and not feeling known, not feeling loved or understood or connected with. And and to actually sit with people that would sit with you. And so if you're somebody that has an opportunity to sit with somebody else, a family member, a loved one, somebody in your gospel community, a friend, and they're expressing this to you, to know there's a power in just sitting with them in the mud and saying, I'm gonna be here. Because you're showing this image of God who is going to be there a faithful presence, a loving presence, a patient presence. And that sort of invitation to actually engage with God in those realities is really beautiful and powerful. Now, there are plenty of situations where you may need pastoral counseling or professional counseling of some kind. We think that's a really healthy thing, that there are people who are very skilled and gifted by God at guiding people through some of the emotional turbulence. They're, they're kind of, you're feeling these symptoms in your life, you're feeling these issues, and you're feeling kind of unrest, and you don't even know how to sort through it. There are people that are skilled, gifted by God, and trained to help you kind of navigate that and sort through what are some of the underlying fears or desires or wounds or trauma or pain or things from your past that have given shape to it. Now, like, seeing what gave shape to those feelings doesn't always address the bottom line issue, but it helps you understand where the battle for faith really is and what it means to engage in it. And so I've engaged in dozens and dozens and dozens of hours of counseling, and I'm so grateful. All that's in the past, again, six years of my life, kind of learning more about my own story and ways I view God that aren't right and ways I've kind of, like, 
kind of adapted my life to kind of avoid certain fears and anxieties and ways I've kind of managed different tensions and burdens and regrets and shame to kind of like make my way through to not feel these unpleasant feelings. Facing that stuff is hard, but it's good work and it's work we gotta do. One, because, and this is what a counselor told me and some others, that pain not transformed is transferred. Pain not transformed is transferred. You kind of grow up in a household where you're not feeling love, you're not feeling care, you're not feeling people care about how you're doing, and so you kind of adapt to that by like working to prove, look, I'm enough, and I've done enough, and I'm achieving, and I'm, I'm winning, and I'm accomplishing, and I'm all these things, and, and I'm running over people in my wake because I'm still dealing with pain from my past. Or I didn't know what to do with my emotions, and so I don't give my family space to feel their emotions, and so now I'm just transferring this onto other people, or I'm responding to my discomfort by anger towards a spouse or a coworker or something like that, when we don't actually do the hard work to deal with what's going on in our heart. What are those fears, those regrets, that shame, that, that kind of control that we're longing for? What's going on? When we don't deal with the deeper stuff, we continue to perpetuate the issue, and it spirals out and affects other people in the next generation. And it can affect those around you as well. And so what God's actually inviting us to is actually enter in relationally with him to actually find healing with his presence, to know that he loves us, he's gracious towards us, he's patient with us, he knows you inside and out, and he's a father who cares for you and can walk with you through the journey towards emotional health. But you've got to engage it. You've got to do that work. And for many people, it will engage, it will mean some harder things to face facing fears you've tried not to face, facing pain that you've ignored for a long time, and, and kind of feeling things that you've spent a lot of your life trying to avoid. I say that all hypothetically, never experienced it at all. Um, and I'm kidding. Like, clearly, this is something I've been walking through, and, and I think I, I still feel like a, a child on the journey towards emotional health, but I think it's so important, and here's why. Because God is actually calling us to be people of peace and joy and love and hope in the midst of a chaotically and emotionally unhealthy world. So society around us is toxically anxious. The reactivity and the sort of like banter and the angst and the anger and the animosity that we see all over our society, this election season, the injustice around us did not cause it. It has triggered and kind of opened up stuff that was already there a very anxious, overwhelmed, fearful, controlling kind of society that now has just felt fractured. It's just triggered this sort of toxic anxiety. And we don't have to be a part of that fray. We don't have to be a part of that roller coaster ride. You can be honest about your feelings. You can talk to God. You can engage with him. You can engage with other people. But when you grow as a person of peace, a non-anxious presence in the midst of an anxious world, You are a healing agent, you are salt, you are light, you are a safe person where people can say, what what is the hope that you have? And you're ready to give them a reason for the hope that's in you. God loves me, he demonstrated it in the person and work of Jesus Christ. He's building a kingdom that will never ever shake. And I struggle and I doubt and I wander, but he's so patient, he's so kind, he's so gentle, he's so loving towards me and it's teaching me and growing me as a person to actually trust him and walk with him and find peace and hope and joy. And when you can live into that, it's beautiful, it's compelling, and it's powerful, and it's a way through which God wants to shine his light in this world. Let's pray together. Um, Jesus, we come right now 
in need of you. Uh, We need you as we navigate our lives, as we try to navigate through all the things happening around us in society, things happening in our own families, decisions we have to make. uh, we We are tempted to try to do it as if we didn't have a father. We're tempted to try to do it uh, as kind of these autonomous people that are up to ourselves. It's, it's up to us to kind of find our way through this. And thank you for the fact that that's not true. It's not up, up to us, that you're a father who cares about us. We're not alone. We're not alone. You're with us. You're for us. You're patient and gracious and kind and forbearing. And so would you help us as people to actually learn what it means to relate to you, our Heavenly Father, as whole people, people who think and who act and who feel and who relate. And would you grow us as sons and daughters who rest with you, find peace with you, find joy with you, find hope with you, but then reflect that in the way we love, the way we serve, the way we show kindness, the way we show humility, the way we ask for forgiveness and extend for forgiveness forgiveness. Would you grow us uh, to be people that shine as salt and light in the world? In Christ's name we pray. Amen.